Well, I do notice some new faces here and there. I don't know if it's people who are coming today for the first time, but I've heard some people have been attending in my absence and maybe a greeter or someone said something like this. We have a great speaker today, but come back and hear our pastor when he returns. And if you heard a message like that and came back, I just want to say right away, I'm not going to be that good today. (laughs) If you could just lower your expectations, I'd appreciate that. One of my good friends, I was walking with him just before service, and he said, Aaron, you ready to light it up today? I was like, I hope so, you know, (laughs) I hope so. If you're looking for a religious star, a charismatic personality, a national author, or a motivational speaker disguised as a preacher, I am your man. No, I'm just joking. I'm probably not your guy. My agent hasn't booked any deals for me lately or ever. But if you're looking for a pastor, I hope I can be that. Now, that's different expectations to different people, and there's always limitations to that. But as far as communicating, when you, when you communicate pastorally, we're saying, God, what are you saying to this group of people? Like we come into this room and we sing songs together and, and we greet each other. And all of the things that we do to, to be the family of God. And when, when, we, when we gather and pastorally you get messages from me or Josh or Deborah or Chip. We love our guest speakers and we're going to have more of those. But the idea is as pastors, we're saying, God, what are you saying to these people? And, and part of that is feeling our rhythms and knowing our stories and interacting with one another. And then the Holy Spirit takes this uncomparable word of God and he makes it life to us today. So we're being a family this morning. I'm I'm feeling some pressure this morning to bring it. And that made me think about you guys. It made me think about the pressure that you're under. Because you're under a lot of pressure when you come into this room. Let's put it this way. You bring your pressure into this room. We call it stress. Stress or pressure. And to be fair, stress has a positive role in our development. So, Sometimes we need that pressure that brings out the best in us. But if we're under pressure all the time and we're stressed perpetually, that's not healthy. In fact, I believe that one of the reasons people live so long in biblical days, and I know that they they had different ways of, of organizing the year and so forth, but there's no doubt that in the ancient days, people lived longer. And, and there's many, many factors for that, but... I believe the number one factor is stress and pressure. So we, we come in here and we're already feeling pressure about our family situation, our relational situation, our job situation. And then sometimes Christianity and being involved in a church can feel like pressure. Pressure to volunteer. 
pressure to give, pressure to show up and attend, um, um, pressure to pr- pr- project spirituality. And I want to just remind you today that Though sometimes that that pressure in small doses is beneficial and God can use it, that the voice of Jesus is not a voice of stress or pressure. He said these words, Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. And I want this place where we gather be a place where you find the invitation of the Lord, the rest of the Lord, the connection with the Lord, the touch of the Lord. I want you to find the Lord here. I mean, no doubt that we're trying to build something. And when you're trying to build something, you know, there, there are expectations and there's things we ask people to do. And those things have happened in the past and they'll happen again but the heart of why we're gathered is to, is to have that touch of God that says, everything you bring into this room, Jesus is going to make better. Jesus is going to make better your work life, your home life, your, your relationships. He's here for you. So the title of this message, Walking with the Lord, I first titled it Walking, Not Working with the Lord. But you're going to see that part of us walking with the Lord is working with the Lord. So it's not a one or the other. But part of the curse of sin is that we quit spending time with the Lord relationally and we, we only work for him. And, and, we, and we think our, our connection with the Father is a working relationship and not a friendship. The Bible refers to us and our relationship with God as walking with him. A few years ago, when we were traveling with the kids and they were younger, Luke was probably 10, when he was like 10 to 14, he would wake up with me early in the morning and we would sneak out of the hotel room and we would just walk around whatever city we were in. Exotic places like Memphis and St. Louis. Tank of gas, get there and, and look around. And we would walk around the city, and it was just a, a kind of a special time because you would see stuff you wouldn't see if you just drove. Looked at historical plot, plaques, we found those. There were a lot of questions asked, and usually we found a donut shop somewhere along the way, too. About the time he started driving, he doesn't get up early anymore. Man, life changes when those kids become 16. Seriously, the, cherish like fifth grade through seventh grade. They're the best years, you know, because they're old enough to have fun conversations, but young enough to need you to take them places still. <laughs> There's something about walking that's the right pace. Like, because you know, when you're walking with somebody, you can have a conversation without losing your breath. You can see what's going on. It's just not too fast. Recently, we were in Beth's hometown. And I don't remember, I was trying to, I meant to ask you before service started what happened. But there was some type of situation where Lincoln and I 
were stuck in one car. I think you were socializing with your old friends or whatever the case was. Something was happening, but we were stuck. So I said, I told Lincoln, I said, let's just go for a walk. And I've been going to this little city for 20 plus years. It's a small town, four or 5,000 people. Uh, the, metro, the, the whole metropolitan area is four or 5,000 people, probably 3,000 in the little town. And, and Lincoln and I, you know, we walked through the city and we had a good conversation. And then after all these years of going to this little town, I noticed things I'd never noticed before. I noticed that businesses I'd never seen before. I noticed that there was a memorial to World War II veterans that I had never even knew existed because there's something about walking. It's just a good pace. It's a good pace. There's probably, you biblical scholars know that, you, you probably know some scriptures where God tells us to run with him, but there's not very many of them. Most of the time, consistently, he asked us to walk with him because that's a that's an invitation of friendship and it's an invitation of the kind of pace that we need to fully enjoy a relationship with him. I, I used to jog. I know you can't believe this. And the few times I know we're with someone else, that was terrible because like you're running along and they're asking you questions. And, and I know we're supposed to be relational people, but I'm like, shut up. I can't get in the air. <laughs> Jogging with someone is not good if you want to talk. But walking is just right. Here's my first point today. Write it down. Come on, you note takers. God created us to walk with him. He created us to walk with him. At the beginning, Genesis chapter one, starting with verse 26, and God said, let us, this is a trinity. God wasn't needy. He was in full relationship, but he said, let us make man in our image according to our likeness. They, being mankind, will rule the fish of the sea the birds of the sky, the livestock, the whole earth, and the creatures that crawl on the earth. So God created man in his own image. He created him in the image of God. He created them male and female. God blessed them, and God said to them, be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth, and subdue it. Now, this is, this. go back to that previous slide, because some of you, this is gonna be a little extra credit word for you. Part of the relationship you have with God, God's called you to be fruitful. God's called you to rule. God's called you to subdue. So we're moving into a new season. Our rhythms here in Sumner County, North Nashville. I mean, guys, we got like a week before the kids, the teachers report to school. We all go back to school. And, and here we go. It's about to get really, really busy. And God's saying, be fruitful. Be fruitful. Fruitfulness is in your future. It's going to be your best year of teaching. It's going to be your best year of sales. It's going to be your best year of relational equity, building the type of relationships that build the kingdom of God. This is what God has for you. Because before sin entered the world, work was a good thing. That's why I had to change the title of my sermon. You know, the heart of my sermon is walking with God, not working for God. And I think you can glean some truth from this first draft title. But the truth is, when we walk with God, we do the work of God. 
And when we walk with God, we do the work of God, but it doesn't feel like the work that sin has corrupted. It feels like the natural outflow of who we are. You were created. You were created to be a blessing at wherever God has placed you in commerce. You were created to be a mother. You were created to be an uncle or an aunt. You were created to be a productive citizen. You're gonna be fruitful. And there's a reason why God's made you a nurse. There's a reason that God's put you in cells. There's a reason that God's made you an engineer. You are not someone that is just doing that all week to fill a seat for me to preach at. You're someone with a kingdom, just like a kingdom assignment from the Lord. And the Lord's saying, walk with me and you're gonna be fruitful. You're gonna be fruitful. The presence of the Lord's gonna be on you and it's gonna be fruit that glorifies him. We, our greatest fruitfulness is ahead of us. Not because of who we are, but because of who he is. Because of the work of God within us. So this was where we were ideally, but then sin entered the world. Let's go to Genesis 3, 8 and 9. That was our text today. Then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden at the time of the evening breeze. And they hid from the Lord among the trees of the garden And so the Lord called out to the man and said to him, where are you? Now, this is God's heart for you today. And I want you to hear this from the most loving person you can imagine. And then multiplied beyond that is God. Where are you? This isn't an accusation. This isn't a guilt-laced question. This is God's heart for you. Where are you? Where are you? In your working, in your busyness. Where are you while you're raising the kids? Where are you while you're managing the grandkids? Where are you while you're looking for a spouse? Where are you when you're trying to position yourself for the next opportunity. The Lord says, where are you? God is looking for you. Remember that song that we sang 20 minutes ago? The overwhelming, never-ending, reckless love of God. It's a good song. It's a song of our generation right now, song of this era. That song's about God looking for you. We, we, We have a We have a faith, not that we are trying to find God, but we are responding to the love of God that's found us. It's incredible. It makes you want to worship. It makes you want to give your life to this more than a cause, but to to this uh, sense of belonging of who you've always been and who you've searched, what you've searched for. Enoch was... A man the Bible tells us about in Genesis 5, 24, and right in the middle of a genealogy, it says this, Enoch walked with God, then he was not there because God took him. It's kind of an odd scripture, isn't it? Hebrew gives us some more insight in this. The book of Hebrews, chapter 11, verse 5, says, by faith, Enoch was taken away, and so he did not experience death. He was not to be found because God took him away, For before he was taken away, he was approved as one who pleased God. Do you know why Enoch pleased God? Enoch pleased God because he walked with God. He didn't run ahead from God. 
He didn't hide from God. He found that right pace to walk with God. That's what I want us to find together. A right pace. Guys, I, here we are. I mean, do you feel how we're about to take off in the schedule? Even those of you who don't have kids, you're affected by the kids going back to school. At the very least, traffic, right? Hendersonville's awesome in June and July. You can actually get around. We're about to take off with cultural things that we enjoy, like sports and hunting and fairs where you go eat fried stuff. Can we walk with God during this time? Or or do we just want to just do our own thing until after Christmas and then have a New Year's resolution to love God then? See, here's the thing. You know, I love spiritual disciplines. I love to teach them. I love to help people with them. I don't want to do devotions. I want to be devoted. So I want him to have my heart. And, and part of that is he's so gracious, he just wants us to include him. Now, if you have a pen, this won't be on the screen or anything because this is, this is fresh off the press. This is fresh stuff here. But I, I want you just to write down some environments, and you can get this later. Write these three words down. Occupation, relationships, Entertainment. Those are three really big categories. Occupation, relationships, entertainment. I was going to take time even in service to do this, but, but we don't have time to do that today. So you can do that this afternoon or later. And project the next five months to say, God, what is going on in my occupation? Like, do I need to bring it in the next five months to meet a quota or meet expectations? What's going on in my relationships? So that applies to singles. It applies to married people. It, it, it applies across, across all different um, categories there. And then in our entertainment, our hobbies. So all of the stuff, you know, we, fall is an interesting time in Tennessee now. October is like our month now. That's like, like a, that's another summer month now. All of these things that you enjoy and invest in are before you. And I think the Lord just wanted to say today, I want to be part of it. I want to be part of it. You guys know that a lot of my sermons that I preach, and I'll preach this again, is I talk about the idolatry, the idolatry of all the things in our culture. And and that sermon's still a good sermon, and you'll hear it again. But part of not allowing sports and travel and family to become an idol is to invite the presence of the Lord and say, God, just come on with me. Come on, Lord, to the Preds game. Some of those chants, they need the Lord, don't they? (laughs) Come on, Lord, to the deer stand. Jesus, I want you in the classroom. Jesus, I want you at my Labor Day cookout. Come on, Jesus, to the football team. Come on, Jesus, to anything that you're looking forward to 
Invite him in. Invite him into the relationships. Invite him into your friendships. Invite him into the connections. Invite, invite him into the transitions of life. Invite him into caring for your parents. Invite him into sending your children to a new school. Be devoted. That's what devotions were designed for. This is 3, 10, and 11. And he said this, I heard you in the garden that I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid. Then he asked, who told you that you were naked? Did you eat from the tree that I commanded you not to eat from? That's where shame comes in. Shame is a, a subject a lot of people are aware of right now. And that just lets us know that the Lord is working through this kind of thought line right now. Shame doesn't belong in the kingdom for the Lord takes away the shame. The Lord doesn't just take away our sin positionally. He takes away the stain of sin. There are people that you and I both love today that are hiding from God. And then sometimes we hide to God even in environments like this. The Lord is saying, come on, where are you? Where I don't hide, come to me. Come to me. Number two is this, and the point's been made. Sin has caused us to hide from God. So in the name of the precious Jesus we love, I say come out of hiding. Come on, bring it all to the Lord. Your lack, your shortage, your disappointment, bring it to the Lord. Because he's looking for you. He's looking for you, and there are great days ahead of us. These next few months, there is nothing besides sin that is an enemy to your relationship with the Lord when you include the Lord in, the, in, in that activity. And his presence can speak to you in places and in ways that unless your heart is open, you may have cut God off from in the past. Now, I used to be self-righteous, and I still have that temptation to be self-righteous. Now, think about that term, self-righteous. It's, a, it's just an ugly term, self-righteous. Like, I'm righteous because I'm good. And when, when I was struggling with being self-righteous, not that that struggle was over, I used to love our psalm today, Psalm 15. Because it says, Lord, who can dwell in your tent? Who can live on your holy mountain? And I begin to see this as disqualifiers for people. The one who lives blamelessly, practices righteousness, and acknowledges the truth in his heart. That's me. I'm a good boy. I've got a good reputation. Of course, I didn't really, I didn't really, um, like verse three, those who do not slander with his tongue. Guys, you may have been around Christians who, who take some, some great moral positions, but they have wicked tongues and they just talk poorly about people. And I know about those people because I was one of those people and I can easily drift back to there. 
who does not harm his friend or discredit his neighbor, who despises the one who rejected by the Lord, doesn't like those people who are enemies of God, but honors those who fear the Lord and who keeps his word, whatever the cost. And that certainly wasn't me, even though I was self-righteous. Who does not lend his silver at interest or take a bribe against the innocent. The one who does these things will never be shaken. Now, this is God's word. And, and I will say this, this is still an excellent guide to practical holiness. So we could confess our sins by going through this list. So I'm not, I'm not diminishing the word of God. And that's not my heart in this. My heart is to see, see this, that if we're self-righteous, we can see this as something that impacts everybody else and not see how it disqualifies us. See, the Old Testament led us to Jesus. And it's until we're sinful and we realize that without Jesus, we have no righteousness that we understand what Jesus did for us. So, I'll give you this last point. And let's go to Genesis 3:21 first. Here's one of the most beautiful scriptures in the Bible that you may have overlooked. The Lord God made clothing from skins for the man and his wife, and he clothed them. What God did was cover their shame. Shame he never wanted them to have. Shame he didn't design for them to have. But once sin entered, he covered their shame. And this is part of the anointing that comes over us, that when God invites us to the table of the Lord and he covers our shame and he covers, it's, it's part of his grace. It's part of his invitation. I want to invite our ushers to prepare to, well, actually, let's do this. Let's do this. Let's all just stand together. Let's all stand together. How does Jesus cover our shame? He doesn't cover our shame through a moral code, though they are important. He doesn't cover our shame through our own self-discipline or our own will. He covers our shame through the work of Jesus. And who is this Jesus that we serve? Who is this Jesus that we serve? Colossians chapter one says he is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation for everything was created by him. This is Jesus in heaven and on earth, the visible and the invisible, whether thrones or dominions, rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things and by him all things hold together. He is also the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead so that he might come to have first place in everything. For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him. Okay, this is our Jesus. Like that, you could just spend time hanging out with that verse to see how great Jesus is. But here's, here, here's the question, why? Why did he come? And why is he so great? And why is it so important that we know that he is so great? Look at verse 20. And through him to reconcile everything to himself whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. Jesus is great because he had a great assignment by God, a great sacrifice because he had a great love for you. The God who was walking in the garden had said, where are you? Who told you? The same God who covered the sin. He did that for Adam and Eve. 
as a first fruit of what he did for the entire world. Jesus is for everyone. The, the gift of salvation is free for all who acknowledge the greatness of Jesus. And by what he did on the cross and what he did through the resurrection, we're covered. We are not in shame anymore. We're not exposed anymore. We don't have to hide from God because God doesn't see our sin. He doesn't see our deficiency. He doesn't see our shortcomings. He sees the righteousness of Jesus because of what Jesus did for us. So I do not preach to you. I do not come to the table of the Lord. I do not try to lead a church in my self-righteousness anymore because if I went through Psalm 15, I would never be good enough. I would never be qualified enough to ascend the hill of the Lord. But I'm climbing the hill of the Lord with you to that idealistic place of Zion, not because I'm qualified or you're qualified, but because Jesus has done the work we could not do for ourselves. Lord, we love you. We thank you for what you're doing here today, God. God, I know that um, you're not calling us just to hear or to preach sermons for entertainment. There's entertaining qualities about sermons. I understand that, Lord, and you use storytelling and humor. And Lord, thank you for using those gifts. But if it doesn't take us to Jesus, it is empty chatter. It's the wisdom of man. It's not the wisdom of God. You see, the wisdom of God is actually foolishness of man. The wisdom of God that says everything you need, everything you can center your life around, everything that really matters is the story of God becoming man. It's Jesus giving himself upon the cross. It's Jesus coming out of the tomb with resurrected power. This makes no sense to base your life off of this. This makes no sense to revolve all of your relationships, all of your occupation, all of your entertainment around this story, but it is foolish to the world, but because of his spirit, it's God's wisdom to you. There's nothing better. There's nothing greater. And so when we come to the table of the Lord, we come to the source of life that give us meaning. It doesn't just appease our sin for the weekend and so we can make it to next weekend. It enters us in to the destiny of God, the very essence of who we are. So the Lord says, come out of hiding. Come out of hiding. Don't hide in the sanctuary of the Lord. Don't hide in the family of the Lord. Come to me. Don't hide with the busyness of ministry. Don't hide with the desire to accomplish things for the Lord. Don't hide. Come to me. Come to me. The Lord says, I want to walk with you. I, I, I see before you several weeks, several months, and the Lord knows our culture. He knows who we are. The Lord says, give me space. Give me space. Let me come in. Let me walk with you. I'll be with you. I love the things you love because I created you. The Lord created you so he knows your desires. He knows what causes your heart to come alive. He, he knows what causes you to feel the enjoyment of life. And he says, that's not my enemy. That's something I want to be with. I want to walk with you. I want to redeem it. I reconcile all things. The Lord is reconciling all things to cross. And what Jesus did is not just for personal salvation, even though that's, that's so important and we're so thankful. It's for the redeeming of all things. The Lord wants to redeem all things. So Lord, we come to this time of dedication and we just ask that in these last few minutes as Aubrey leads us in worship, Lord, that we would just know your presence and that your presence would be with us and we praise your name for that.